0: I like to have books on my shelf so that uh, people can just take them and enjoy them. And uh, this is one of those books that you would love to have people read. And so uh, there's a a sense in which I'm sorry about not going through Genesis because I love working our way through Genesis, but I'm not sorry, obviously, because we're doing it and uh, because we're going to be talking about something that's really practical and really, really important. I want to spend the next several months talking about the way that we talk which I know is a lot of time, a couple months, on uh, communication. Um, I don't know if it will take us all the way to May. It might, but I don't know for sure, though it will take us close to May. So we're gonna spend several months talking about how we talk, which might seem a lot like a lot of time, uh, but it's gonna, be, it's gonna be worth it. Uh, we need to talk about the way we talk. First of all, because we do a lot of it. Even um, those of you who aren't really talkers, Uh, talk a lot. There's not many things that we do more than talk. Um, This is a major portion of your life. You spend a lot of your life communicating, talking, and listening. And it has such a major influence on your life. Paul Tripp, he says, there's nothing we depend on more than our ability to give and receive communication. Words are connected to almost everything that you do. Uh, Try to imagine your life without the ability to communicate. Uh, you, You can't. Almost everything involves communication. How different would your life be if you weren't able to communicate? One author says, uh, education constantly requires communication. To learn anything requires communication. Television, radio, newspapers, and the Internet involve communication. Friendships are cemented and maintained through communication. So what do you know that hasn't been communicated to you? What joys have you experienced in life without communication? How would you handle sadness without the ability to communicate? We're almost always communicating and being communicated to. So if you're wanting to live your life to the glory of God, you obviously need to look at the way you talk because this is one of the things you do most often. Paul Tripp says, talk seems so normal, so ordinary, so unimportant, so harmless, yet there are few things that we do that are more important or more difficult. It's not so hard to talk, though it is amazing, to be able to open your mouth and have sounds come out and somehow those sounds travel through the air and reach somebody else's ear and somehow goes into their ear, into their mind, and they can understand these sounds that you're almost making uh, without hardly thinking. It's like a, a miracle. It's amazing, but it's not hard to talk. But communication is more than just talking. Communication is a process, J. Adams says, by which the thoughts of one mind are precisely delivered through speech to another's mind without significant loss, addition, or alteration. And that is hard. That is hard. It is hard to communicate well. I remember reading somewhere someone saying, we're always communicating, and we're almost always communicating poorly. Who here hasn't ever said to themselves, wow, it is hard to communicate. Usually we think it's the other person's fault. When <laughs> like, wow, it is so hard to communicate with them is usually what, what we say. Uh, or, or that's not what I meant. How could they think that I meant that? That's not at all what I meant. Or, man, I really misunderstood them. We struggle with communication. We all struggle to hear people well, to speak well if we wanted to do a little survey of our lives in terms of how we're doing in light of some scriptural principles on communication, it can be humbling. So uh, for example, uh, if you open to the book of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 18, verse 13, Proverbs eighteen thirteen says this is just to motivate you to think about communication by uh, evaluating your own communicating. Proverbs 18, verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Folly and shame. How many times have you spoken before you had all the information and said something that was unhelpful? I would guess for most of us, a lot of times. You can imagine Joe hears that his sister Betty said something negative about him to his brother, and he goes and Yells at her for doing that and later discovers she hadn't actually said anything truly negative. Bad communication, right? But it happens all the time. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. A word in season means a word at the right time. It's good to give the right word at the right time, which means, though, that it's possible to have a word not in season, a word at the wrong time. Can you think of times when you said the right thing at the wrong moment? Diana's son Joseph just found out that he got a poor grade on his chemistry final, and he gets home, goes into his room. And she follows him there and spends 20 minutes telling him that he needs to work harder. What's his problem? Why isn't he getting A's? He'll never be able to get into the university that he wants to get into if he keeps doing this. She may be right, but it also could be the wrong time. (laughs) Maybe Joseph needs encouragement at that moment. We've all uh, said the wrong thing at the wrong time, and many of us have said the right thing at the wrong time as well. Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 25 is another classic passage on communication, and I can just quote this one because it's familiar because we'll come back to Proverbs. But Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So speaking truth is foundational for God-honoring communication. But can you think of times when you said something that was not fully true or you exaggerated or you uh, misled? Jack's wife forgot to pay a bill, and he finds out, and he's upset, and he says to her, you know what? I never can count on you. You always let me down. What's he doing? He's lying. He's exaggerating. There's no way in the world (laughs) that he can never count on her. Bad communication. Proverbs 26, verse 17 says, Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. We all know how foolish it is to get involved in a quarrel, but we've all done it. Can you think of times when you got involved in a conflict unnecessarily? Can you think of times when you misunderstood what someone else was saying and got involved in an unnecessary quarrel as, as a result? Proverbs talks about a babbling fool. Can you think of times when you said more than you should have in a moment? On the other hand, I wonder if you can think of times when you haven't said what you should have said. Fred and Tom serve together in a ministry at church. They're friends, but lately they're noticing that they have some disagreements about how to lead the ministry they're involved in. They're both frustrated, and they're starting to doubt one another, but instead of talking to each other, they try to defer. But they're becoming more and more annoyed with one another, and finally Fred gets so upset he just explodes. And Tom responds, instead of moving forward, though, they end up just communicating how angry they are at each other. Bad communication. Proverbs 18, verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Can you think of times when you just wanted to share your own opinion and weren't really interested in what the other person was saying? You maybe were just waiting for them to be done talking so you could start talking again. Jeff goes for counseling, but he doesn't want the counselor to give him counsel. Instead, he just wants to share what he's upset about. And so whenever the counselor begins to talk about an issue, Jeff begins talking about something else so that his counselor doesn't have the opportunity to address the problem. Bad bad communication. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sword thrusts is an intense word, isn't it? Somebody walking around their house just thrusting the sword at everyone. But I wonder if you can think of ways words have hurt you or that you've hurt others with your words. It's amazing how much pain poor communication can accomplish. Instead of giving you an example this time, probably you can think of an example from your own life. I wonder, we don't have to say it out loud, but you can raise your hand. Does anybody remember something that was said when you were young that was really painful? Can anybody raise your hand if you can remember something said to you when you were young that was, uh, that was painful? I'm surprised that not everybody. I can, I can remember some kid um, making face of, fun of my face shape from when I, was, uh, when I was, must have been uh, 12 years old. Why do I still remember that? I'm 49 49 years old now. Um, Can you think of something that was said that damaged a relationship? Can uh, anybody think of something that was said that it took a while to to get the relationship restored? I can think of something. Yeah, I, I should have raised my hand on the first one. Maybe that was the problem, yeah. Raise both hands. Can anyone think of something that was said that made a major change in your life? Somebody spoke and your life was very different as a result of that. I can think of that as well. It's usually easier to think of ways that others have hurt you through the way they spoke, but if we're honest, we all uh, stumble in this way. Um, If we really want to feel our need of a Savior, we can Think of the ways that we have spoken and, and hurt others. I'm sure if God decided to play a tape of some of my uh, worst moments, <laughs> poorly used words, I, I, that would be very, very, very humbling. Selfish words, gossip. In A War of Words, Paul Tripp asks a few convicting questions. He says, what if someone videotaped the last few weeks of your communication and played it publicly? Who can say every word I've ever said has been appropriate to the situation and kindly spoken? There's only one person who can say that, Jesus. None of us can say it, none of us. We all need help, that's the point. We all all need help with with this subject. Every one of us can get better at communication. We all need help. And the Bible has a lot of help to give, a lot of help. That's part of why I'm excited. The Bible has a lot to say about this area of our lives. This is one of the top topics in the Bible and what it says is very profound. It can help us. It can help us help others. We get what the Bible teaches about communication. We practice it. It's going to have such an impact. It's, words are powerful. They're, like I said earlier, it's, a, it's amazing. I've, have you ever stopped and thought about, like, how did I learn to do this? Uh, it's, it feels almost like a miracle to me. If you ever tried to learn another language, you realize, Wow, this is really hard. How did I figure this out at two years old? You know, like I'm I'm an old man now, and that to learn another language seems so impossible. And when you communicate, something special is taking place. Like right now, I'm I'm somehow think like I'm I guess pushing breath out of my mouth, and somehow these sounds are coming out, and they're 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 forming thoughts in your mind. So like. I could say something right now, and you're going to think you, you'll think something as a result of what I said. It's amazing. We're brought together through speech. We're coming together, and things happen. Changes happen. There's there's power in communication. I always tell my kids, man, you you may not be able to, you may not be super important in your life, or have a lot, feel like you're in a position of much influence but if you have a tongue and an ability to speak you you can change the world around you like the ability to communicate is really really powerful and we begin if we can begin to understand what the bible says about this area of our lives and grow in this area it's going to have a huge influence in our lives and in the lives of the people around us a good metaphor for communication is that of a a steering wheel so speech is like a steering wheel. It's going to take your life somewhere. When somebody gets married, you look at that couple, that young couple that says they love each other so much and you know 10 years from now your relationship is going to be one place or another and a lot of it's going to have to do with the way, these, these way you talk every day. Your, your communication is going to take your marriage somewhere. Every new person you meet the way you talk with them will take that relationship somewhere. Words are powerful. Uh, Someone said lives are changed through mere words. This is an exciting subject because of the power of words and because of the fact that we can get better. We we can grow in this area. You can change, and that's what what we want. Uh, It it takes work, for sure. Even, you know, having... um, the two foster children in our home, Marta's con- at age two, you know, one, two, she's constantly working with them on how they communicate. And it takes a lot of work. <laughs> so uh, some of us didn't grow up with moms or dads that are helping us at every second to t- almost to, to communicate uh, uh, effectively. So it's not surprising that it does take work, but we can grow. We have the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at what the Bible says about uh, communication, and it should be convicting if we're doing it right, but the goal is not just to look at what the Bible teaches about communication and say you're bad at it. Uh, We want to help each other change and speak in more God-glorifying and helpful ways, and to do that, we're going to begin by going back to the beginning. Um, This is one of the things I actually like about the book, A War of Words, and why we're using it, and I'm mostly just jumping off this book. We'll look at it sometimes and not other times. But one thing I like about it is that it doesn't just start with techniques or strategies. Because sometimes when we think about communication, we're like, give me a good strategy or technique. So count to ten or I don't know what, say nice things or something. And it feels helpful because, yeah, we need strategies, obviously, if we're going to communicate well. But before we give techniques, we need to think about fundamental biblical principles. So it's like sports. You can teach someone how to dribble. But they need to understand the game of basketball if learning how to dribble is going to do them any good, right? And so there are some basic things we need to make sure we understand about communication if we're going to honor God in this area of our lives. Like, why did God give us the ability to communicate? Where did, where did the ability to communicate come from? I, I sort of spoiled it there from God, but where did it come from? What's it for? What is God's plan for words? Why does the Bible place such a great stress on communication? Is talk really cheap? (laughs) Why has communication gone wrong? How has sin impacted the way that we communicate? What hope is there for us when it comes to communication? What difference should the gospel make on our communication with one another? And when we understand some of those basic principles, then we can begin to think more specifically about how the Bible says we grow in our ability to communicate. So this evening and the next couple weeks, we're going to start by doing some of that foundational work. And specifically, we want to think about why we've been given the gift of communication and highlight some of the ways in which the Bible emphasizes its importance. So why have we been given this gift? How does the Bible show us that this really does matter? And we're going to do that first by looking at God and then creation. Because really, the first thing, number one thing that you need to understand, if you're going to understand communication and where it comes from and why it exists, is that before we ever communicated with one another, God was communicating. God is a communicating God. Even before there is a world... Before there is anything else, God is communicating. Because we look at the Bible and see God communicates with himself. And this is a little deep, but as Christians, we believe there's one God who exists in three persons. So Mark 12, 29, Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's one God. And yet, of course, Jesus says, "Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three persons, and we're not going to get into a deep discussion of the Trinity, but God is three in one. And there's a unity between these three persons, and there's some sort of distinction. And knowing that, it's not surprising to discover that the New Testament tells us the persons of the Trinity speak to one another. So you get a hint of that in Genesis 1, where he says, Let us make man in our image, because who's he talking to? (laughs) But the New Testament is even clearer. If you turn to John chapter 16, uh, verse 13... Jesus here is talking to his disciples in John chapter 16, uh, verse 13. And he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So the Spirit speaks to the disciples what he hears, and who does he hear? You keep reading to discover the Father and the Son. So this blows my mind a little, but, and I can't understand completely how it works. But we do know that it's revealing God is a communicating God. The fa- the Jesus is the Word. God the Father is the source, and the Spirit is almost you could say uh, the voice. God is a communicating God. He communicates with himself. uh, Even before he creates the world, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So before there was a world, before there was even an earth, For there's anything, God is making promises. It's a deep thing to think about, but if we think about why we communicate, it's because we're made in God's image, and God is a God who communicates. It's his nature to share, (laughs) to communicate. And in the Bible, the very first place we learn about God communicating is Genesis 1. So if you go to Genesis chapter 1, We've seen that it's part of who God is to communicate, and now we're going to look at God communicating at the beginning, the beginning of the world. So we're going back to the very start, and what do we learn about God and words and communication from the first few chapters of the Bible? Let me read Genesis 1, 1, and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So it doesn't talk about God talking there, obviously. But how do we know that happened? Because we weren't there, and nobody else was there except for God. So where did we get that information from? God communicated that to Moses. God spoke to Moses. And why did he tell Moses why do you tell Moses about that? Why, did, why do we need to know about what happened at the beginning of the world? Ultimately, this is to reveal something about God to us. And so God doesn't just want to communicate with himself. He wants to communicate with you. He wants to use communication to help you know things about him and our world that we couldn't know otherwise, to reveal himself to us. And we should take a moment and just appreciate that because that's that's like such a privilege. If you ever feel like, man, I don't have much, I'm just poor me, all this stuff, this is amazing. God is a communicating God, the most important person in the entire universe wants to communicate with us. He wants to share who he is with you. He wants you to know him. Those are two principles from, from looking at God and And creation. God is a communicating God, and he wants to communicate with us. But we can continue. Genesis 1-3, how does it begin? It begins, and God said. And so in the Bible, who's the first person to speak? God. And what happens? God created the world through words. Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So think about that for a second. What does it tell us about communication? Like, what do we learn? One thing it tells us is its importance, like one author explains. That the God of the Bible should create the universe by speaking is no idle detail. The fact that God creates through speech puts language, and by extension the rationality that's necessary for the production and understanding of language, at the beating heart of the universe. Paul Tripp writes maybe a little more clearly the value of every piece of human communication is rooted in the fact that God speaks. When God chose to reveal himself that way, he raised talk to a place of the highest significance as his primary vehicle of truth. Second, there's power in God's words. So God speaks and something happens. Psalm 148.5 reflects on creation and says, "'Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created.'" Paul Tripp explains, in Genesis 1, there is no world until God starts talking. When God does start talking, stuff begins to happen. His words create a whole new world. And we're going to think about that in a minute, because that's really awesome. But third, speech is important, and God said, there's power in God's words, worlds are created. Third, though, God's words have meaning. So he says, let there be light, and what? There is light. He doesn't say, let there be light, and a tree pops up. He says, let there be light, and there is light. And this one's a little deep, but God says, let there be light, and it means something specific, not just anything. And who determines what it meant when God said, let there be light? God. And that's going to be important for understanding communication especially God's communication, the audience doesn't determine the meaning. God does. When he says words, they don't just go out there and mean anything to anybody. When he says, let there be light, there's light, because he's the one who determines the meaning of the words. And finally, as we said, God's words reveal something about God, which is part of why we have it here. God reveals himself, his plan, and his purpose in his words. And as we keep reading scripture, we'll see we can take this further. This is pretty neat to me at least. (laughs) But there's such a connection between God and his word that sometimes the word will be referred to as God or God as the word. And why can the authors of scripture say that? You'll see they'll talk about scripture and then they'll say God said, or they'll talk about God and they'll say scripture said. Why is there such a tight connection between God and his word? It's because of how communication works. When I say something to you right now, These are my words, right? And it's different than if a robot says it to you. If I give my wife a love letter written by AI, that's different than one written by me. Or if I preach a sermon that AI wrote, that's different. Why? When I say something, those words come from me. And somehow those words are attached to me. I say those words, they're out there, But they're my words. And somehow it's almost like my presence is in those words somehow. You might say there's a kind of personal presence in words. And it's tricky to say right, of course, but I'm just trying to find a way to illustrate the fact that there's a really tight connection between God and God speaking. His words aren't disconnected from from himself, which, of course, is why if you deny his words, you're denying God. God is a communicating God. Part of the purpose of communication is so we can know him. His words have power, they have meaning, and somehow they allow us to know him and experience him. If we keep going in Genesis, what else do we learn about communication? Another thing we see is that before, God, before we ever spoke to one another, God spoke to us. So one place he does that is Genesis 128. And what does he say there? He says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then another place is Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and it says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So think about those passages for just a minute. What's happening there? If we go back to Genesis 1, What's happening with God's words? What's the very first thing in Genesis 1.28 that you see happening with God's words? God is using words somehow to bless man, right? And I love that the first thing we see God doing with his words towards man is blessing him. That's amazing. But we also see that God's communication can bring blessing. And then what else? He's using words to explain man's role. So this is what you're supposed to do. God, communication blesses, Communication clarifies. It, it shows the right way and the wrong way, and you see that in the second passage. Here are all these trees. This is the one you can't eat from, and this is what's going to happen if you do. And you know, how did man understand what God was saying at that point? How did, he, how did he understand? God gave man the gift of language. I mean, Adam had only been alive for like a day. So God gave man the gift of language and words and understanding. So communication is a gift from God. And one of the reasons we have the ability to communicate is so that we can have a relationship with God and be blessed by God and know how to live in this world with God and for God. So God speaks and the fact that we speak is a a gift from God. But for what purpose? Why, Why did God give us... He obviously hardwired man to communicate and to be able to understand communication, but why? If we keep looking at these opening chapters, the first time we see man speaking, he's speaking as a representative of God. So we learn in chapter 1 that man's been made in the image of God. That's who we are. We're, and that we, I think we've talked about that here when we went through Genesis, but that basically means we're made to represent God. We are, uh, it has to do a lot with our function. We're here on the earth to represent God. And in chapter 2, we see that God gives man the opportunity to represent him. How? Listen to Genesis 2.19. It says, Now out of the ground that the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And there's a whole background to this, but um, naming things in ancient Near Eastern culture was connected to exercising authority over them. So that's also like why Nebuchadnezzar named, renamed Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all those guys, because it's a way of saying, like, I'm in charge of you. So God created the world, and he brought the world into being, and he brought order into the world through speaking. And yet there's more to do. And so God chooses... To act through man to continue to subdue, exercise authority in this world as his representative to like manage the world, and how does he do it? How does Adam do it? The first way he does it is through speaking. He names the animals. He's is subduing, in a sense, the world by naming the animals, bringing order to it. And how does that bring order to the world, or how does that exercise authority? Well. One way it does, what you call things, what you say, impacts the way you relate to the world and, in a sense, the way the world works. So by using language and communication, we are organizing our worlds and uh, bringing it into dominion in a certain way. And our words and the ways that we name things and describe things actually affects the whole way we look at the world and the world in which we live. I was listening to a lecture On communication, and the professor was giving all kinds of examples of how our language, our use of language, impacts our view of the world. So she was talking about two examples. One, she was talking about this tribe, like somewhere in Australia, who doesn't have um, direction. They don't have. They don't use the words left or right. Instead, everything is uh, north, south, east, west, and uh, almost every uh, their whole language is centered according to her, around north, south, east, west. So even when you say, like, how are you doing, in their language, you answer by saying, I'm going northeast, or I'm go-, you, you, you explain what direction you're headed and where you're going as a common greeting. And so uh, if I asked you now, uh, if I asked you now, which way is south? Why don't you see maybe uh, point which way is south? If you live in Fullerton, don't look at somebody who lives in Fullerton. <laughs> yeah, okay, anyway. None of you are doing it because you're all shy. But we probably would, many of us would not know, unless you're really impressive. We could have all kinds. And yet in their culture, like a five-year-old would know that. Because they're, they're constantly orienting themselves according to that kind of directional language. So their language, the way they've exercised authority over the world shapes... The way they live their life. Or there's other cultures where they don't have really numbers in the same way that we do. So if I put up a picture of a group of penguins up there and I say, "Tell me how many penguins there are," you would say, "One, And it would be simple to you, but there are cultures or languages where they don't have those numbers. They would just say there's a few penguins up there, or there's a bunch of penguins up there. And so obviously, that lack of numbers is going to shape is going to shape your whole perspective on, on, on the world. And you're, you're, there's got a lot that's going to be vague when it comes to the exact amount of things. And all of that, of course, is designed by God. It's part of how He designed us as humans to exercise. Um, Authority and represent him in this world, God gave Adam and Eve the gift of communication to be able to have a relationship with him, to know how to live in this world and to represent him by bringing order to the world in which they live, like your words, language is a gift from God. The ability to communicate is a gift from God. We were just joking about um, you know the year of the dragon or year of the dog, and you know. If I say you were born in the year of the dog, probably some of you would say that means I'm really loyal. And so you kind of have to think, how does that work? Like, is it that somebody says, through saying you're born in the year of the dog, people born in the year of dog are loyal, they're in a sense exercising influence (laughs) over the direction of your life. You're going to start thinking, I, I need to be, I'm a loyal person because I was born in the year of the dog. And that's probably going to shape you into being, could shape you into being a more loyal person. Obviously, I've got to be loyal because I was born in the year of the dog. That's how year of the dog people are. Um, and when you do something loyal, you're like, hey, I'm a year of the dog guy. And that's, that's obvious. I, that's why I did that. Um, language exercises influence. That's the point. That's part of how we're we're designed. We had one child who was um, just felt naturally just kind of uh, more excitable and uh, willing to do things that a lot of the rest of us would be afraid of doing. And so we used to always call her uh, um, or that child (laughs) crazy name, whatever their name was. And then after a while, I, had, I thought to myself, I'm sort of directing that child's life by calling her this, even though it's sort of a joke. Um, I, am, I am affirming that behavior, or I am highlighting that behavior and saying that is part of her character. And if I do that long enough that way, she's, it's going to be hard for her to be, that child to be anything other than that, because for years and years, I called that child crazy blank so it gets in their mind so I stopped doing that um, and said instead wow you really like to do uh, fun things we don't always have to do things that way but um, sometimes it's okay but the words we use uh, have have power and that's built in we are uh, given language to represent God that's the purpose and then to rejoice in what God's done for us. This is Genesis 2:23 after God makes a woman for the man, man responds by saying, this poetry, the first thing, so any of you men that tell your wife, you can't speak poetry. First thing man does, the first thing man ever says, you know, besides naming the animals is poetry. Um, so I think men must be able to somehow, but this uh, he says this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Um, and he goes on there. But he's using words to understand and enjoy what God has done and even to interpret it, to explain what happened. Words interpret events. Now we move from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 3 as we keep trying to understand communication, and we'll talk about this passage more next week. But what happens in Genesis 3, just as kind of a preview? Adam and Eve fall because they listen to deceptive speech. So speech can be used properly, but also improperly. There's a certain serpent, and he's crafty. He says to uh, the woman, you you shall surely not die in Genesis 3-4. He denies what God taught man through speech, and we see the consequences. His words brought devastation to the world. Eve believed words that were not true, and the world has been forever changed. And you know, after they sin, how do they use their words, man and woman? They use their words to excuse themselves, they use their words to blame others, they use their words to reinterpret the situation, so that somehow it's, it's, it's God's fault, and they're not the ones to blame. Words really have power. So in um, our speech, it does something. So we we uh, dropped one of the foster care children off at, uh, Marta dropped the foster care child off at uh, the, the grandmother's recently, and... Um, that when she dropped the child off, the, the child had a massive temper tantrum, like kicking, at not Marta, but the grandma, and like, uh, like really, really angry. And so I think the grandma was a little embarrassed, and the, it, w- it was a new situation because the mom had come to the grandma's house, and anyway, there was a story to it. But um, when Marta went to pick the child up uh, later, the grandma said, oh, we know why she did that. It's because she was afraid. So the grandma is a, a psychic, and so she's sure that the child can see things. And so what she's doing, though, is using words to interpret a situation. And instead of using her words to interpret the situation, we would say accurately and say, this is... Um, we can understand why this is difficult, but this is actually sin. You know, this is wrong, and we need to help her identify this as anger and learn self-control. She's using her words to excuse the child's behavior and blame it on something outside the child. Now, that is going, those words, if that, if that child ends up growing up in that situation and that Grandma consistently interprets the world that way for the child. It's tragic because that child is going to grow up not thinking she's a sinner and that she has like anger that she's got to deal with. When she experiences these emotions, she's going to n- instinctively think it's because of something in my environment. It's, uh, I'm reacting this way because of something outside of me. And it's the grandma's words that uh, that had that kind of influencing shape would have had that kind of influencing interpreting shape in our life and that's kind of what adam and eve are doing when god comes to them they're saying adam's like no it's the woman and eve's like or whatever eve says they're there it's it's your fault basically god and in genesis 3 we're beginning to see words going wrong and why they go wrong and i think we're we're seeing the purpose of communication in genesis 1 and 2 and some of its importance and, and, and some of the problems as we look at these opening chapters of the Bible. So God communicates, we communicate because God communicates. He communicates to reveal himself, his communication has power. He uses words to do us good and to teach us. He gave us the gift of language so that we could understand him and so that we could represent him, image him, and even respond to what he's done for us. But that, use, that gift can be used for evil, And we see that happening as Satan speaks lies to the woman and she believes those lies and as man reinterprets his situation and excuses himself. And that poor use of communication has devastating consequences. And to illustrate that, to kind of pound it home, let's just think about the present day a little. So this is how we can end. And we'll end a little less theoretical and more practical by going to the book of Proverbs again and just considering just some of the ways that Proverbs stresses the importance of communication. And we're going to get to more of these later. I can't wait. But we can get an idea at the beginning here. And so I want you to see the way some of the principles we discussed about communication play out in real life from the book of Proverbs. So go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. Proverbs 1:10. Yeah, this is just the very beginning of Proverbs. The writer of Proverbs is talking to his son, And he says to his son, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So what what are words able to do here? How are they trying to use speech here? Fraud, yeah, right. They're trying to make sin look attractive. The word entice is like Look pleasing. So these people are trying to make something bad look good. So communication has power. It can make something terrible <laughs> look wonderful. Uh, Proverbs 1:33. We're just sort of cherry-picking here. This is um, wisdom talking. And uh, wisdom says, "Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster." So what are words able to do here? What's that? Say it louder. Provide wisdom, that's right. But even what does it cause this person's life to be like if they listen to this, this communication? Security, yeah. Um, without fear. So speech, listening to the right kind of speech, has, has power to make a person's life peaceful Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 and then 5, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, so if you listen to the right communication, verse 5, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what does receiving the Father's words accomplish here? Enable the person to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Isn't that awesome, to be able to... Like you can make, you can be dangerous. You can make, through your speech, you can make sin, sin, something terrible that will hurt somebody, look attractive. But through your words, you can also help somebody come to fear God and also be wise. That, that to me is just like, when I read that, I'm like, man, I want to know how to use my words. Like I want to know how to speak. If I can speak in ways that will help somebody have the fear of the Lord, and I want to learn how to speak like that. Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verses 20 through 22, he says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them from within your heart. Now look at this, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So what, what are words able to do? They're able to bring life to those who find them, And they're able to bring healing. So when God speaks, obviously, power, right? Power. We don't have that kind of power. We can't speak and worlds come into being. But we are made in the image of God. And so when we do speak, when we speak, our words do have a kind of derivative power, actually. And they accomplish things. And they can accomplish terrible things. Words can do so much destruction but your words, you can learn to say the right word, and you can go, your words, God can take your words, they can go inside of somebody where they're really broken, and you can provide healing through your words. Like there's a spot in them that was really like ripped open, and God uses your words to get in there, and they, they're like healed. Like something deep happens inside of them. Proverbs uh, chapter 10 uh, verse verse 11 this one is one of my favorites i'm sure i'll say it again in the next couple months but it says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life so i like that image cuz it's just like I imagine just like life coming out of my mouth all over everybody fountain of the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life you get near that guy he's like spitting life all over you Whereas the wicked person, his mouth is hiding violence. It, it, the way he speaks, at first you might not realize it, but in the end, you're, serious damage is going to be done to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So it's like ruins over there, but uh, commu- the way this person communicates... Is like, hey, come on over here, come on over here, please get closer, please get closer. And so Ruin gets closer and closer as a result of the way this person speaks. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. This one I mentioned earlier, but it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so these are two different kinds of dads, right? (laughs) Two different kinds of wives, two different kinds of kids even as we talk to our kids so often uh, we're saying yeah guys it's it's so fun to have fun in a family and be at home and be able to talk but also just realize like the way that we speak our, our family could be like split apart for a long time or be drawn closer and a lot of it starts here when you're young over years and years and years of patterns of ways of speaking to each other that seem normal it can bring uh, ruin, or it can bring uh, healing. And we could look at a lot more, and we will. But knowing what we know about God and words and the beginning of the world, we shouldn't be surprised if we look at our lives and see that the way we talk has a lot of power. And so we're going to talk, and the way we talk is going to do something because that's how God designed communication uh, communication to work. And so over the next few months. We're going to spend a uh, lot of time uh, thinking about how we communicate, but maybe uh, let me fast forward to the end and uh, just ask you to do a little uh, av- evaluating. Um, some questions I'll... I, mostly you can just reflect if I, on these, but when was the last time you gave thanks to God for the ability to communicate? Like when you said, God, thank you that I, that I can speak and words come out of my mouth and other people can understand me. Um, we did more of this probably because, you, you know, for so long we did foster care for Muzy, and Muzi's not able to speak. And so just living with someone who's not able to, to, to communicate beyond non-verbally and, and really not much at that, it's like, Wow. You know, it's just a couple little things in my brain, and I'm not able to say anything to anybody. And what a gift it is to be! How much of life is is uh, revolves around the ability to communicate. That's something that we should be really thankful for. Um, does the way you think about communication reflect what the Bible teaches about the importance God places on it? On a scale of one to ten, how seriously do you take speech? So, like, one is I just throw words around like they're nothing. Uh, one is I don't, I'm not working on becoming better. Don't just think that you're good because you don't talk either because that is a kind of communication as well. If words bring healing, the doctor who doesn't actually do anything is not a, better do- not a, a good doctor. <laughs> like, your words are given for building up, for accomplishing something. Not just not tearing down. Uh, And actually, not speaking does tear down over a period of time. Um, Do you believe that your words belong to God? So this is a, a, a big one to think about, but like, your words are not your own. It was, again, something we always say to our kids, or have said at least a bunch. Your words are not your own. Your words belong to God. And so, you and we're going to see that. I was going to finish with that, but we won't. But like James 3, there's an accountability for the way that a person speaks. Um, Jesus talks about that in the Gospels as well. So your words belong to God. As you think about the words that you use, who, who owns your words in your mind? What difference do you think it would make on the way we communicate, if we believe that our words belong to God, You may think of one difference it would make. Thoughtful, yeah, for sure. Not a very good servant if you're not thinking about thinking about how to use them. Uh, you're going to want to learn what are God, how does God, what would God want to be said in this situation. What, what, is the, what, is, what is God's agenda? So, like, when I come into a situation, a lot of times I'm thinking, what's my agenda? You upset me. I want to use my words to let you know how much you upset me. But my words, I'm a representative of God, and my words don't belong to me. So I come into that situation. It's not about me. It's not about my agenda. I have to think, what's God's agenda in this situation? And how do I use the words that he's given me to accomplish his agenda, or else I'm a pretty bad servant. A servant's not supposed to be trying to accomplish his own agenda. He needs to be thinking about what God's agenda is. What are um, some characteristics that come come to mind quickly if someone is thinking in a situation How do I advance God's agenda with my words? What are some some specific things that he's going to know have to be true of his words? Like they need to be true. They need to be uh, motivated by love. They need to serve. Like your words should be serving words. My words should be serving words. Like. How do I serve you with my words? So that means, like, I'm not supposed to be just in the conversation for, like, how do I get you to look at me through my words? How do I get you to do what I want through my words? In a situation, I need to be thinking, how do I serve God and how do I serve the person in front of me through the gift of, through the gift of language? as we think about uh, the poor way that Adam and Eve use words, maybe you can think about are you um, using words to interpret your life and your family's life and the life of others around you according to God's word or according to uh, the, world's, the world's counsel? And so that's really, again, very important for us as Christians because there's like these, from the beginning, there are these two competing um, two competing counsels. There's God's worldview, and there's Satan's worldview. And uh, Satan m- deceives man through communication. And as believers, as we're going out there talking to people, we're constantly giving counsel. We're constantly interpreting the world. Almost every conversation involves somehow you interpreting the world for somebody else. Something happens and you're like, "Oh, that's so sad." What did you just do? You just gave an interpretation. Uh, somebody, something happens and you say, "Man, you, you really have a right to be angry." What did you just do? You use your words to give an interpretation, uh, to 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 um, give them a way of looking at the world. That's powerful. Um, even if you don't think you're powerful, that's powerful. You're, in a sense, sometimes you're limiting through your words. You're limiting. So even this is why, like, negative words, when somebody's saying negative words to you about somebody else, they have to realize what they're doing is it's, you, have, you need to realize what they're doing, but it's hard. Once they give those negative word that interpretation to you, it's like in your brain, and now you have to work to look at somebody else or something else differently. Otherwise, their interpretation so often will just lodge there, and you're just defaulting to it without even doing the work yourself of figuring things out. And sometimes it's happening at such pace that it really takes you work to sort of navigate through all this, the stuff that you didn't figure out, but that everybody else told you about how to look at the, look at the world. And that's, I guess, part of life, of living life in this world. But as representatives of God, we do need to think carefully about, like, my words are significant, and as I'm talking to these people, am I advancing Satan's counsel and in his interpretation, or am I, am I helping them move towards uh, God's, God's way of looking at the world? But we'll, that's, that's what this whole next few months is about.